Chapters three and four of Her Mother's Secret by Eden Southworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Chapter three. Old Acquaintances. But unhappily, in the height of midsummer, Abel Force, believing that he acted from the purest motives of affection, but, no doubt, as the event proved, deceived and misled by the enemy of mankind, proposed to take all his family for a tour which should include the White Mountains, the Lakes, the St. Lawrence River, the Thousand Islands, and Niagara Falls. Mrs. Force, who had long lost her morbid dread of public resorts, willingly agreed to the proposed journey. About the middle of July the party set out. They traveled very leisurely, enjoying every foot of land and every ripple of water they passed over. It was late in August when at length they reached Niagara. They took rooms at the Cataract House, and spent a week in making excursions through the magnificent scenery around the falls. It was in the first days of September that something of very grave import to the future of the happy family occurred at their hotel. The whole party, together with many of the guests of the house, were out on one of the grand piazzas overlooking the rapids. They remained out enjoying the sublime and almost terrific scene until the sun set and the moon arose. Then Mrs. Force, dreading the dampness of the September evening over the water for her children, led the way into the house, followed by all her party. They went into the brilliantly lighted public parlor. As she was crossing the room, leaning on her husband's arm, and followed by her children and their governess, she suddenly started and turned pale. Mr. Force, who felt her start, but did not see the sudden blanching of her cheek, looked up and saw a stranger approaching them from the opposite side of the parlor. He was a short, stout, fair-haired, rosy-faced, blue-eyed man of middle age and pleasant aspect, in a fashionable evening dress. He came up with a frank smile, holding out his hand and exclaiming, "'Lady Elfrida Glennon, this is really a delightful surprise!' The haughty beauty shuddered but almost immediately commanded herself, and received her accoster's effusive address with cold politeness, and then said, "'Let me present you to my husband and daughters, Mr. Force, Colonel Anglesia of the Honorable East India Company's service. Colonel Anglesia, my husband, Mr. Abel Force, of Mondreer, Maryland. Our daughters, Miss Force, Miss Wynnette, Miss Elva, Miss Meek.' While bows were being exchanged, the lady quite recovered her self-possession. The party took seats near together, the colonel dropping into a lounging chair immediately opposite the sofa on which Mrs. Force sat with her daughters, and saying something poetic and complimentary about a perfect rose surrounded by fresh buds as he gazed upon the beautiful mother and children. Mr. Force, who occupied another armchair near them, seemed the best pleased of all the group. I am really very happy to make your acquaintance, Colonel. This is the first time in our rather long married life, look at those great girls, that I have had the pleasure of meeting any of my wife's English friends. I hope we shall see a great deal of you. I hope to persuade you to visit us at Mondreer for a few weeks before you return to your native land, he said, with all his honest, friendly soul in every look and tone. Thanks very much. I shall be but too well pleased." Yes, it is nearly twenty years since we saw each other last. Yet the moment I entered this room, I recognized Lady Elfrida, he said. Pardon me, coldly objected the lady. When I married a citizen of this republic to live in it, I took my husband's style with his name, and am called Mrs. Force. 
"'Ah, true. Precisely. Perfectly so. A thousand apologies. I will try to remember.' And the colonel sank back in his chair. He remained for about half an hour conversing with the family party, or rather, to report exactly, with Mr. Force, for neither Mrs. Force nor any other one of them contributed much to the conversation. At length he arose, bowed, and left them. "'A very agreeable man, indeed. A very entertaining companion. Well-read and well-traveled. Knows the world. Understands human nature. An old friend of yours, my dear?' said Abel Force, turning to his beautiful wife. "'An old acquaintance of my brother, rather. They were in the same regiment in India,' coldly replied the lady. "'Ah, but that is a strong bond of union between men.' "'Your brother's comrade in the Indian campaign. "'He is travelling now on a long furlough,' he says. "'We must see more of him, good fellow. "'We must have him down for a few weeks at Mondreer.' "'No!' impulsively sprang from the lady's heart, "'but the word did not pass her whitening lips. "'She suppressed the exclamation, "'sent back the strong objection to hide in her bosom "'among other heavy secrets there, "'and kept silence.' The honest and honorable man, who had no mysteries of his own, and never suspected them in another, did not observe his wife's agitation. He was not looking toward her, in fact. He was looking down on his own clasped fingers and idly twirling thumbs, and thinking of the good time he was going to have with his wife's old friend and his own new acquaintance. "'Yes,' he went on dreaming and murmuring half to himself, "'we must certainly have him down to Mondreer for the autumn.' and show him what Maryland country life is like. I reckon he will find it more like old England than anything he has seen in America. He is the first countryman of yours, my dear, who has ever fallen in our way since we left England, and we must make the most of him, especially as he is not only a countryman, but an old friend. So saying, Abel Force arose and sauntered off to see if the evening mail had come in. Mrs. Force had sent off her children to bed, in charge of their eldest sister and the governess, while she herself remained in the empty parlor, walking up and down its whole length, and trying to think what would be her best course in the present crisis. She had, for the time being, the room all to herself. The other guests of the house were either in their own apartments, or on the piazzas, overlooking the rapids, or at tea, or abroad. At any rate, the lady was alone until she was joined by the colonel, who came confidently, not to say impudently, up to her side. "'Angus Anglesia, how did you dare to recognize and accost me?' she demanded, her blue eyes blazing with indignation. "'Because I was so surprised and delighted to see you, Friday,' he replied, with gay defiance. "'I should think the sight of me would blast your eyes.' "'Don't swear, Friday. At least don't swear in that way.' "'Blast your eyes' is a low, seafaring phrase. "'I know it is provoking to have me come, "'when you had got away so far, and felt so secure. "'Well, it was as great a shock to me. "'By Jove, we looked at each other for a moment like a pair of ghosts, didn't we? "'But talking of blasts, I don't mind confessing that the sight of you "'did nearly strike me blind, but it was through your dazzling beauty. "'By Jove, Friday!' "'You are ten thousand times handsomer now "'than you were when you turned the head of his royal... "'Be silent, if you dare to name that devil to me again. "'Quite so. I am dumb. I am mute. "'But don't use strong language, Friday. It is bad form. "'You must have picked up the habit in America.' "'Look you here, Angus Anglesia,' 
Mr. Force intends to invite you to visit us at our country house down in Maryland. He has invited me, deuced kind of him, and I have accepted the invitation, put in the colonel, twirling his light mustache. You will not go. You will have the decency to avoid the roof of an honorable man. The colonel's face flushed crimson. His brow darkened with anger. For a moment he lost even the superficial semblance of a gentleman, and showed himself a ruffian in tone and manner. "'Look you, my lady, Elfrida. You take a dangerous tone toward me, who holds your fate in the grip of his hand,' he exclaimed, stretching out his arm and working his fingers. "'Yes, and who would not hesitate, under provocation, to tighten that grip to your destruction. But there, we should serve, not ruin each other.' "'Now listen to me, Friday. If you will behave yourself, I will hold my tongue. Otherwise. But I need say no more. You understand me.' "'I understand you to be an unmitigated villain,' muttered the lady, fiercely, between her clenched teeth. "'An incarnate fiend.' "'You flatter me. You do, really. You elevate my self-respect. How I shall enjoy your conversation at—at—what is the name of your principality or grand duchy down in Maryland?' I am told that your great plantations down in the south are quite equal in wealth, population, and extent of territory to our lesser European sovereignties. What is the name of the place to which I am invited, and where I intend to go? Why do you wish to know the name of our happy home? Why do you wish to enter our Eden like another serpent to destroy it? exclaimed the lady, beside herself with fear and wrath. There you go again, Friday. You will not drop that bad habit of flattering a modest man to his face. I declare you will make me vain. Why do you wish to trouble me? Why do you wish to come to Mondreer? she inquired, wringing her hands. Oh, ho! You have come down from your tragics. Mondreer, is it? And why do I go? Well, to be frank with you, I go to browse upon fresh fields and pastures green. I understand. You think the simple, honest, country gentleman will be easier prey for your gamester's snares than are the men you meet at public resorts. And you mean to swindle and fleece them, scornfully replied the lady. Again the man's face flushed with anger, but he controlled his temper and laughed, saying, What a genius you have for compliment, Friday. You should have been a courtier, where your talents might have been turned to the best advantage, or a king's favorite. Ah, but there we tread on delicate ground, do we not? I warn you, Colonel Anglesia, not to drive me too far, for sooner than submit to your insults, I will throw myself upon my husband's mercy, and claim his protection against you. Oh, you will go to him, and tell him that tale of old times, of which you were the heroine, and in his love he will forgive you, and so far so well. But then, suppose I also should tell that little story to all and sundry— "'How would it be then?' sneered the man. "'Oh, fiend, fiend!' breathed the woman through her white lips and closed teeth. "'Quite so. You only do me justice. I shall enjoy your conversation at Mondreer.' "'And you go there to rob my husband and our unsuspicious neighbors at the card-table. "'But you will be disappointed. Mr. Force does not know one card from another, "'and his friends seldom or never play.' "'What barbarians must be the people of your principality, Friday? "'I must really go there as a missionary "'to teach them the arts of civilized life. "'Ah, in good time. "'Here comes his serene highness. "'Let us smooth our ruffled plumage, 
else he may be asking inconvenient questions, whispered the colonel, as Abel Force smilingly approached them. Ah, you here, colonel? That is right. We'll all go down to tea together. I feel really so delighted to have met with an old friend of my wife that I cannot bear to lose sight of him. We must leave here on Monday. Now, my dear colonel, could you not arrange your affairs so as to accompany us? If your plan of travel would admit of your giving us the pleasure of your company on our return journey, we should be really delighted, you know. The hunting season will soon be on, and I could show you some fine sport, said Mr. Force. And then, seeing his eldest daughter enter the room, he drew her arm within his own, and smilingly waved his hand to the colonel to take Mrs. Force, and lead the way to the tea-room. But the lady refused to see the signal, took the arm of her governess, Miss Meek, and went on, the colonel walking persistently beside her. "'What do you hunt in your grand duchy, sir? Buffalo? Bears? Wolves?' inquired the colonel, when they were all seated at the table. "'No,' laughed Mr. Force, good-humouredly. "'You would have to go a thousand miles to the west for that game, colonel. "'We hunt just what you do in England, with a difference. "'We hunt foxes and hares, and sometimes deer. "'Oh, we will show you. "'You will think yourself back in old England. "'Come, shall we consider the matter settled?' "'Cordially demanded Mr. Force. "'Thanks very much. "'I shall be too happy to make one of your travelling party. "'I will go.' "'Chapter Four: A Dangerous Guest "'Remember,' said the munificent Marylander, to his new acquaintance, when they were about to start, "'my wife's old friend is my guest from the moment we leave this hotel.' Which words, being translated into practice, meant that Mr. Force, from the time the party left the Cataract House, paid all the colonel's travelling expenses from Niagara to Mondreer, even though they lingered at several pleasant stopping-places, and took the Adirondacks on their way.' The frank and obliging colonel, not being afflicted with any delicate sensibilities, made not the slightest objection to having all his bills paid by his host, nor felt the least hesitation in borrowing all the money he wanted, using various pretexts of delayed remittances and so forth, all of which excuses the straightforward and unsuspicious Marylander believed, feeling well pleased to be his guest's banker. It was the first of October when the travellers finally reached Mondreer. Arrived there, Colonel Anglesia took possession of the mansion, with the most engaging condescension, and continued to borrow money of his host with the most charming affability. He had, besides, a frank, bluff, soldierly manner, which pleased the country neighbors and won their confidence. He easily ran into debt at the country stores, and pleasantly won money at cards from the simple young men, who thought it an honor to lose their cash to such a very great nabob and very fine gentleman. Meanwhile, he kept a sharp lookout for rich young men to fleece, and some rich heiress to marry. Abel Force, in his frank, cordial, unsuspicious hospitality, gave hunting breakfasts, dinner parties, and oyster suppers in honor of his English guest, and invited all the best people in the county to meet him. Colonel Anglesia, from his pleasing person and agreeable manners, entertaining conversation and fund of information and anecdote, became very popular in the neighborhood, and the county gentry feasted and lionized him to his heart's content. But the longed-for heiress did not seem to be forthcoming. All the young ladies to whom he was introduced had fathers and mothers in the prime of life who bade fair to outlive the handsome colonel himself by many years, and ever so many brothers and sisters. Indeed, large families seemed to be the rule in that neighborhood, 
and only daughters who were heiresses the exception that could nowhere be found. It was strange that in all his search for a girl with expectations, the colonel had never thought of Odalite. But then she was only sixteen years of age, and she looked much younger. She seemed to be merely the eldest child among children. One day, early in December, an event occurred that opened his eyes. A letter arrived from foreign parts that gave the whole family, and especially Odalite, the greatest pleasure. She ran about with it, open in her hands, and read it to her parents, to her sisters, and even to her governess. Colonel Anglesia, in his self-absorption, took not the slightest interest in this family jubilee, and felt not the least curiosity concerning the letter which had caused it. But Mr. Force, in the generous exuberance of his nature, wished to share his pleasure with all others, and so, joining his guest in a walk over the frozen fields that winter morning, he smiled and said, "'We have just received a letter from my ward and cousin, Midshipman Leonidas Force, who has been at sea for the last three years, but is now homeward bound and is expected to arrive in time for Christmas. And then I should not wonder if we should have to celebrate a New Year's wedding,' he added. "'Ah!' "'So the young gentleman is engaged. "'And who is the young lady?' inquired the colonel, "'making an effort to appear interested. "'Why, is it possible you don't know? "'I thought everybody knew,' exclaimed the father, looking surprised. "'But I, you must remember, am a comparative stranger, and I am ignorant. "'Well, then, of course, the lady in question is my eldest daughter, "'a very little lady as yet. "'Miss Force, why, she is a mere schoolgirl.' "'She must have been a little child when he went away, "'if he has been gone three years,' said Colonel Anglesia, in surprise, "'and then he fell into musing. "'She is sixteen now, and she was thirteen when he sailed. "'Of course there was no formal engagement between them then. "'There could not have been, you know, but it was understood. "'You see, sir, it is a family matter. "'The children have been brought up together "'with a view to their future union. "'They are certainly very fond of each other.' Their marriage is a very desirable one on every account. As I have no son, my eldest daughter will inherit this manor, one of the oldest and largest in Maryland, and one which has been in the family since the first settlement of the province more than two hundred years ago, when Aaron Force, who came over with Leonard Calvert, received a grant of the land, a thousand acres then. We have not lost an acre in all these generations, but rather gained a third more. There are fifteen hundred acres now. All this must fall to the distaff, and go out of the family unless my daughter should marry her cousin, Leonidas Force. He also has recently inherited a considerable estate, joining this, and like this, with a long sea-front. It is not always that young people submit to be guided by their elders in the matter of marriage, but I am happy to say that my boy and girl have very readily taken our views of the case and will follow them. So they will probably be married very early in the new year, and the old ancestral estate will not pass out of the old family name. "'I see,' said the colonel, "'and I heartily congratulate you on the prospect.' Then he fell into deep thought. Presently, he said, "'She has not seen her lover for three years since she was a child?' "'No, not since she was thirteen. "'When is he expected to return?' "'About Christmas.' "'Ah, yes, you told me. "'She is very young to be married.' "'Yes, but we do marry our girls very young, when everything else is suitable, as in this case,' smiled Mr. Force. "'But after three years of separation from the youth whom she parted with in her childhood, may not your daughter have changed her mind?' "'Oh, no,' earnestly replied the father. 
but you cannot know this until the young pair meet again. Suppose now, for instance, that when Miss Force sees the youth, she may not like the idea of marrying him. What in such a case would be your line of policy? I should have no policy. My dear daughter's happiness should be my first consideration, and the marriage could not go on. Exactly. That is just what I should expect of you, said the colonel approvingly. Good fellow, thought honest Abel Force, admiringly. "'But such is not likely to be the case, Colonel. "'She is quite fond of him, as he is of her.' "'Quite so,' assented the Colonel, "'as they turned and walked toward the house. "'On reaching it, Mr. Force went in, "'but Colonel Anglesia excused himself "'and remained on the outside. "'He wanted to walk up and down. "'Here was the very heiress he had been in search of "'right under his eyes all the time, "'and he had never seen her. "'He had thought her a child of about fourteen years of age.' and here she was sixteen, and considered marriageable. How precocious these young American girls were, to be sure! How very early they were married! At this point the colonel lighted a fresh cigar, strolled out upon the frozen lawn, and sat down on a rustic seat, under the branches of an old yew-tree, from which he had a view of the bay, that here spread out from the foot of the hill to the distant horizon. It was not, however, to look at the prospect of nature before his eyes, but to contemplate the prospect of the future in his imagination that he sat there, and smoked and reflected. "'The game is in my own hands,' he said to himself. "'The daughter is governed entirely by the mother, whom she adores, and she must appear to act from her own free will and for her own pleasure, in order to obtain the consent of her father, who, forsooth, will sacrifice his own family ambition to his child's happiness.' This is the third of December, he mused, and the young fellow is expected to be home at Christmas. There is no time to be lost. I must turn the screws on my lady. There shall be a New Year's wedding at Mondrier, but Mr. Leonidas Force shall not be the happy bridegroom. End of chapter 4